Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. We thank you, Lord, for the grace you've shown us. Father, we thank you for the privilege of worshipping you. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, and now just being together as a body, coming around your word. Speak to us this morning, O God. It's all about you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for who you are. We pray in your name, Lord, that we get to know you more today. We want to know your personality intimately. We want to know you, God. Father, reveal more of you today, Lord, in your word. We want to know you more and more intimately, God, because that's what we were made to be, to know you, to walk with you intimately, O oh God. Father, so speak to us now, into our hearts. Prepare our hearts that we are focused on you now, Lord, to receive what you want to tell us. And our hearts are ready to respond to your voice this morning. And may it be your voice, Lord, in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So John, chapter 21, from verse 1. Okay. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Whoa, that's an invitation, isn't it? See, men's breakfast? Come on. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
continue from 15. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Amen. Whoa, I love this story. It's a delicious story. Not just because Jesus is cooking, but it's a delicious story. There's so many beautiful parts of it. And it reveals to me many sides of Jesus. Over the years, religion has clouded the view of Jesus. How many people have come to church and not recognized who Jesus is? Have left church services not experiencing Jesus, his spirit, his love, his compassion. Gone a whole life through. They may be saved but not really living his life to the full because they haven't experienced him and know him intimately. We are made to know Jesus intimately. The most important reason you are here today is to know Jesus intimately. God made man in the garden to walk with him intimately. We were created to be intimate with God. It was broken. Now God's made a way back for us. Through his son. Jesus says there's no other way to the father except through me. I am the way, the truth, the life. We are meant to experience Jesus intimately. And the good news is you can have him. You can have him. He's here with us now. You may be saying, I don't really feel him. You just got to get on your knees. I want you, Lord. I need you. We've got to be hungry for him. Come to me who are thirsty and hungry, he says. And that requires an action, a physical action. We need to surrender our lives to him, our hearts to him. When a creator makes something, it's for a purpose. It's for a purpose, isn't it? So God created us for a purpose. We need to get to know our creator. If we get to know him, he'll reveal to us our purpose. Every single person in this room has a destiny, has a purpose in life. You all have destiny. The disciples were drifting off in their boat in the night, but they all had destiny when Jesus came calling. Jesus is now calling now. Some of us are drifting, but he's now calling. I'm giving you destiny in your hearts. Come back. I'm calling you. It's a privilege to know Jesus. He is love. He's magnificent. He's beautiful. We want to know him. We need to love him. We need to love him. But to love someone, you need to know them. 
want to get to know them intimately. What's our vision of Jesus? What is our vision of him? Religion paints this stained glass image of Jesus in a window. A cuddly little baby on a Christmas card that doesn't do any unnecessary business. A a pure little baby on a Christmas card. But Jesus is more than that. He is life. I need him more than the air I breathe. In the communion, Rob put it beautifully that we need him. We could do about many things in life. I thank God for all the things, material things I have. But I swap all that for Jesus. He is who I need. I need him more than anything. I'm so grateful for him. Given him my life. He's given me destiny in my heart, a purpose for living, a love for people that I never had before, a compassion heart for people. The world is full of injustice. And Jesus came to put it right. And he's asking and looking for people to do it for him. And that's the exciting thing as well. He's come back and he's asking us to help him. This end time plan of God involves us. What a privilege. If we could see all the things that he did. Wow. You will do greater things than I, he said. Well, that's amazing. Because when, when he was here, he was confined to a place at a time in history. And his Holy Spirit was in him. But now his Holy Spirit, as I said earlier, is everywhere. To those who want him, who are hungry for him. Right now here in Utoxeter, in many places all over the world right now, God is working. There are healings right now all over the world right now. People are being saved right now because of the Holy Spirit is doing greater works now. That's what Jesus means. Greater works happening right now. And I thank God for this body of the people in this church too. God is doing amazing things in people's lives here. It may seem small things, but they're beautiful things. People connecting families. You know, God connecting families. It's incredible. There's an army raising up. God's looking for people who are hungry for him. Hungry for him. He is beautiful. He is not a religion. He is my life. He's the blood in my veins. And today, how can we describe Jesus? I've got to try and describe the undescribable. Fathom out the unfathomable. We sing songs, don't we? How undescribable he is. But I've chosen to do a a talk on describing Jesus. (laughs) But I'm going to give it my best shot. All I can do is just lay it all out and say, this is Jesus' love for us. To know and love him. Now, what kind of person will God use? (laughs) He is calling. He's calling. How beautiful is Jesus when he's calling you? Sometimes we backslide or go away or we don't know Jesus for a time but there is the calling the whispers in our heart and sometimes we hear it so verbally and loud and we choose to ignore it but he's still calling Jesus is calling now he's calling now there's so many beautiful parts of this story and to To really appreciate this story, 
We need to picture the scene, get into the minds and the hearts of the disciples. Jesus appeared a few times previously to this, but sporadically. So again, they're in no man's land. They're sort of lost. They don't really know what's going to happen next. They don't know what's going to happen. Simon Peter doesn't know what to do. So, like, I'm a fisherman. Let's go fishing. You know, like any good fisherman, what should we do? Well, let's, let's go fishing. Let's pass the time away. Let's do some fishing. But they're lost. They don't know what, what the next plan is with Jesus going to be. So they're desperate. They're seeking, but they're lost. So they're just going fishing. But they're down in the dumps. They've seen Jesus arrested and crucified. They've witnessed one or two sightings of him. But they still don't know what's going on. And what's the mind of Jesus now at this moment as well? Let's get into the Son of God's mind. He's seen his disciples fishing all night. Haven't caught a thing. They're not very good fishermen, are they? They don't know where to go. (laughs) And so Jesus knew that. And early in the morning, from verse 4, isn't it? Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. So all night they've been fishing, and Jesus let them fish all night. (laughs) Thanks, Jesus, you know. (laughs) All night. He appears in the morning. And so what's the mood of Jesus at the moment? What's his mood? I think he's pretty happy. You know, he's, he's just resurrected. He's defeated the grave. He's got the keys of Hades on his belt. He's in a pretty good mood, I would say. He is pleased with himself. And there's disciples in the boat, drifting off, lost, not very happy. And he stands there, Jesus looking at them. Guys, you know, he knows what's coming up. But what does it tell us about Jesus? He's got a character, hasn't he? So unreligious, so ungod, isn't it? But this is our God. He's a personal God with a personality and a, a just humor. We don't associate with God with humor much. But our God is a God who likes to laugh and make us laugh. There are some miracles in our lives that we can't comprehend. And He does a little, you know. People pray for a finance miracle sometimes to go on a course or a Bible study course. And I knew a story where the guy, him and his wife, they prayed for a finance miracle of £317, something like that, to do the course. The next day they got a tax rebate for £317 and a penny. That's God, you see. Here's the money for the course. Have the penny as well. This is how God is, isn't it? What a beautiful God. Why couldn't we surrender to a Jesus like this? And this is Jesus just saunters to the shoreline. His disciples in a boat. Hey, got any fish, lads? And after three years of being with him, wouldn't they have recognized his voice? You know, was it a bit far away? Now if Lily shouted across 100 yards, I'm sure I would have understood Lily. She's got a distinctive voice. I'm pretty sure Jesus has got a distinctive voice. But they didn't understand. Maybe you put an accent on again. 
Maybe, maybe pretended to be someone else. He's a tourist. Hey, lads, you got any fish, lads? You know, who knows? But they didn't understand. They didn't know it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No. <laughs> what does Jesus respond there? Got any fish, lads? No. Oh, dear. You know, what a lovely question. No, they haven't. But he's taken them back as well to a place where he first called them as well. And I like that because he's reminiscing how he first met them. It's like a, do you remember when we first met? I love that. Because Jesus is a friend. And we share things as friends, don't we? When you've met, not met a friend for many years, you meet up. You talk about the things of the past and how you met Jesus, perhaps, if, you, if they're a Christian friend. And you talk about the old times. You, know, you remember, I remember meeting my wife in Sainsbury's when she was in her glorious orange Sainsbury's gear. I remember. And little did she know that that day she was going to change her life. You know, I remember the day I saw her down the aisle, the meat aisle, not the wedding aisle, the meat aisle. And I thought, she's looking good in that orange. Never met her, pulled a trolley up to her. And I said, excuse me, where's the bacon, please? Mate, I've got the good lines. Feel some teaching, guys. And she showed me where the bacon was. Seven days later, another visit. Same orange. Excuse me, where's the sausages, please? I changed it, see? I'm clever. And for six months, I was going around the whole shop doing this. But you remember, buying the paper now and the milk. And, but I remember. And when we go to Sainsbury's sometimes, I always say to Lily, right, let's, let's, let's act again what we did before. You stand there, I'll stand here, and let's reminisce. Because it's fun as well. Recalling, you remember when you first met your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend? You remember the first things you said? And I like to reminisce. And this is what Jesus is doing. It's so unreligious, isn't it? It's a personal human thing. He's saying, do you remember, lads, the first miraculous catch of fish that we did? And as they're sitting around the campfire later on, he's recalling it, isn't it? They're talking about it. Hey, Peter, do you remember the f- Yeah, just so unreligious, isn't it? Jesus, the resurrected God, sitting there as a pal, sharing the story. Whoa. He's magnificent, isn't he? He deserves all the praise for that, doesn't he? He's beautiful. It's been done before. He knows all things. About us, Jesus. He knows every hair on your head, says the Bible. He knows every thought that you have. His thoughts for you outnumber all the grains of sand in the whole world, says the Bible. It's amazing. All the days for your life are ordained in his book. Let him in. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants to share time with you. He knows everything about you. 
Do you remember when you first met Jesus? When you first heard about him? What a glorious day. When I was set free from all the stuff that I was trapped in. And he's so beautiful. He blows all the cobwebs of religion away, Jesus. He's also very interested and excited what you do. In verse 9 to 13, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. This just gets too good, doesn't it? So that when they land, so they've landed now on the on the shoreline, and Jesus has got a barbecue going. It's it just does, it's just incredible, isn't it? The resurrected God, who's defeated death, has now just set up a little barbecue for us, for his disciples. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, said Jesus. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, then it was a torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Whoa, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. Bring some of the fish you have caught. If Jesus was doing a barbecue, and, he'd, and the, it already said there was burning coals, in verse 9, with fish on it and some bread. So Jesus already got some of his food on there. Jesus is already preparing his fish. Bring some of the fish you've caught. Now, if I was a disciple, I'd, I want some of your fish, Jesus. Your fish is going to be the best, isn't it? Anything from God has got to be the best. No, but bring some of the fish you've caught. He's interested in works of your hands. Jesus can do everything better than us. Of course he can. Of course he can. But he's interested in the works of our hands. What we do. He knows he can trump your fish every day of the week. <laughs> he knows. Because you can imagine him picking that fish up. Wow, Peter, she's a beauty. Let's have some of this. That's what he's doing. He's putting it on the fire and enjoying your fish. He's enjoying what you've done. So none of the work we do is in vain. None of the work we do is in vain. Jesus likes to share in our achievements and successes. Doesn't he? He's got the barbecue going. He's waiting for your fish. He's got some ready just in case. And his his fish probably tastes delicious. But Jesus is so intimate. He wants to share in what you do. Now, I do, for a living, architectural drawings of churches and, and cathedrals. And there's an image of one. For many years, I've been drawing many cathedrals and churches all over the country. And um, this is King's Church drawing. Look at that. You see? That's where my training got me to this point. You see? 29 years of training, and I came to end up drawing King's Church. This is for planning permission for the doors and uh, the sign. We had to get planning permission for all this. And um, so this is what I, what I do for a living. I draw stonework and architectural buildings. Now, the, the next drawing, so I know details quite well. Now, look at the next drawing, which is coming up. 
There we go. Can we see that clearly? Can you see that? Can you see that all right? Yeah. Scroll up a little bit to the sign. There we go. Look, there's a drawing of King's Church as well. Now, when I received that drawing, I'd say, well, that's not very good, is it? It's not very accurate. I mean, there's no cross on the outside of the building. There's no clocks. The King's Church sign, I didn't say to my niece who gave it to me. <laughs> I didn't say to her, well, that's not very good, is it? The sign's wrong. The colours are the one, the different reverse, aren't they? The, the cream is on the letters and the background's burgundy. And the doors, they're not very accurate really, are they? I didn't go to town on her drawing and said how inaccurate it was. We received it with love and it now is on our fridge at home. Because a child who we love did the drawing. See, the world's view can go to town on that, say, oh, it's not this, it's not that. But you know, parents, that when a child who's at preschool comes home with a little scribble here and a scribble there, a red scribble there, it isn't much, is it? To the world's view, it's not going to make the Tate Gallery, but it's on your fridge at home because your child drew it. And that's how God sees the works of our hands. Some of us come to God thinking, well, I haven't got much to give you, Lord. The works of my hands are nothing. Because the world says I'm nothing. But your work's on God's fridge. He sees your work on his fridge. He's proud of what you do. Do not listen to the world telling you your works aren't good enough. You're working for one. And he is proud of you. He is so proud of the world's systems are unfair. How we try to categorize levels of children and what abilities they have. Sort of dumbing down kids and it's wrong. Every child before God is bright. Every child is bright, has something to give. And this is what God does. He's instilled upon every single human being a gift. But we try to categorize them and say they're failures or they're behind or, or he's bright. And no, they're all bright. But our systems, they really do dumb down on, on our children. Now, my youngest son's not here today, so I'll mention him. He, he wasn't great at maths. I wasn't particularly good at maths, too. And so, but people say that you're a failure if you, don't, you know, if you get a bad mark or whatever. But I wouldn't swap, swap his school report for nothing. You can give me all the A stars you want. For, but his school report was amazing. Even though he didn't do particularly well at certain subjects... Every teacher wrote things like, what a student, do not leave, what a human being you are, wish there was more like you. Because he knows God. He's had it instilled in him. He knows how to treat people with love and respect. And that's the view of people when they see them. They're not judging him on their grades, on their marks. That's beautiful. I'm so proud of him. For those comments. Because he shows what a wonderful human being he is. We thank God for that. Hallelujah. So never say your work is not good enough. Please. Do not listen to the world about your efforts and performance. The Lord is pleased with your effort if you do it for him. 
He's so proud of you like a child. Those drawings, you know. He's proud of you, whatever you do. And I just want to talk about pride. I mean, we can be proud to a degree of our our own achievements, you know. You know, we, if, we, if we do something, we've got a problem at work, and we, and we overcome the problem, God's given you the ability to overcome that problem. And he's given you a mind to work things out. And, and you can sit back and think, whoa, I did that. And that's, that's, that's good. That's, I'm proud I've done that. But there's a tension between pride and humility. There's, a, there's always a tension between those two things. And... It, so what, if we can be proud of something we've done, we can say, thanks, God, for giving me the gift to do that, Lord. And now, I think that's right. And, but it's also a problem of false humility as well. Um, if we do something for the Lord, and, and somebody may come up to you and say, oh, thanks very much, there was a, a story I heard where a, a beautiful singer sang a superb soprano and a lovely voice. It was a wonderful time. And a pastor went up to her and says, thanks for blessing us with your voice. You really brought us into the presence of God. Oh, it wasn't all me. It's all God. It's all God. It's all God. And he actually said, no, because God will do a better job than you. That's true, isn't it? And so we need to receive that. Don't get too pre- so it's, it's a real tension all the time. Thanks for blessing us. Thanks, well, thanks for the encouragement. Thank you, God. So we need to be wary of false humility as well. It is by the grace of God that we've achieved what we've done. I think that's right. Yeah, we need to. So after today, to say, great sermon, Steve. Oh, thank you for the encouragement. It's by the grace of God. <laughs> so yeah, we need to be wary of that. Yeah. Jesus wants you to trust him. And he wants to be he wants you to trust him too. Some of the instructions that he gives us in our lives may seem obscure. Um and that's how God works, isn't it? That's faith. In verses five to six. Jesus called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answers. Don't recognize you. Who are you? He says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in. Now, I'm not a fisherman. I, I'm not at all. But if I was a fish under that boat and I'm swimming around looking under the boat, there's no visible wall there or something. Isn't it stopping me swimming to this side of the boat? So does it make any difference really to net? I'm not so sure. It's a strange structure. They've been there all night, remember. And these nets, they've got little weights on the end to hold the net down to the bottom of the seabed. It's hard work. It's hard work. So this stranger, he is a stranger at the time as well. They don't know it's Jesus. They listen to the instructions. What? Throw your net on the other side. We've been here all night, mate. We ain't caught a thing, and you want us to take the net up and put it on this side. Hey, I'm not listening. But they did it. They tested the instruction that they were given. Sometimes God gives us instructions we don't understand, but we just have to test them. We have to test the instruction to see if it is from God. And if it is, the doors will open. Things will happen. Test it against the word of God. 
Let the spirit of the, the word talk to you. Test it. But they tested it. They got the instruction. And they hauled these net up. And that required work. These aren't like little fishing rod nets. You know. This was hard graft. All night fishing. They were tired. They were hungry. They were miserable. Yet they just hauled these nets up. They hauled these nets up. Threw them on the other side. They didn't question it. They didn't say, it doesn't make any difference, mate, putting it over here. There's still no fish. There's not a line underneath the boat and all the fish are this side waiting. <laughs> Is it? The fish aren't congregated over this one side of the boat just waiting. But they threw all the nets over. And that was hard work again, hauling them over. It's not five minutes. It requires an action. When God gives you an instruction, there's an action. You know, we try and solve our own problems. Like the fishermen, they were drifting in the night. Didn't catch a thing. Didn't catch a thing. But the minute they received an instruction, the catch was done. The miracle was there. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts, not lean on your own understanding in Proverbs 3.5. Did he not feed the thousands with a few bread and fish? Did the widow, two kings, Pour all those jars with oil from a little oil. Did she not say to Elisha, Elisha, that's all I've got, mate. There's no point having all these jars. She did it. She did it in action. Faith without action. He's amazing. He's amazing. And above all, Jesus is intimate because he wants you to love him. Yeah, thanks, Harsh. He wants you to love him. Now, the reason he's appearing to his disciples after the resurrection, he's not in the temple court before all the religious leaders saying, ha ha, I've beaten it. He's appearing to those he loves, he wants to be with, he wants to build his church upon. He wants us to respond to him. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Why? So we can get direct access to God through him. Direct access to him. But since that, some have rebuilt walls, rebuilt their curtains, remade their curtains again. And we're still going through people or mediums or other things to get to God again. But that's wrong. He's done it once and for all. It's done. I am the way, the truth. He's beautiful beyond description. Humorous, intimate, love. And this story is so beautiful as well because of the reaction, the response, and the tears conversation with Peter. In Matthew 26, 
In Matthew 26, in verse 31, Jesus, Peter and the disciples are having a conversation. It's where Jesus predicts Peter's denial of him. From verse 31, Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. This is the night of the arrest. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will, Lord. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So after his arrest, Jesus received his first beatings, spat on, bruised. Peter, in verse 69 witnessed all that says now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him you also were with Jesus of Galilee she says but he denied it before them all I don't know what you're talking about he said then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there this fellow is with Jesus of Nazareth he denied it again with an oath with an oath I swear by the name of I do not know this man. He swore. He made an oath. Denied him twice. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives it away. You're Australian. (laughs) Then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. And immediately a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the cock crows. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I don't think bitterly is strong enough. For the next few days and a week or whatever it was, how was he feeling? I don't know the man. His guts, his stomach, everything inside of him. What was he feeling? I know how I felt when I've said something or, or done something. I want it to go away, that feeling. I want it to go away. I, I dread waking up in the morning to face the same angst, the anxiety. I can't stand it. I need to get rid of it, but it just hangs around. How was Peter feeling? He's just disowned him. And the cock crowed. How was he feeling? He was desperate. He was so desperate. Broken. In the story we read. In verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. The guy on the beach. That's the Lord. It's the Lord. Remember Peter's feelings right now. He's sat there, still feeling all this. It's the Lord. He wants to get over there. He wants to make up 
all those hours of angst and anxiety and sick and feelings. I've got to get over. He was desperate, full of emotion, riddled with guilt and shame. He didn't wait for the boat to turn around. He'd say, well, lads, quick, turn the boat around. Let's all row back. Did he? He jumped out of the boat. He couldn't wait to get to Jesus. It's not as if a few more minutes of waiting for the boat to turn around and then come back. It's only a few minutes in it, probably. It wasn't much in it. But it's the, the desire in you. Are you hungry to swim to Jesus? Or are you just going to coast back into the boat? Are you waiting for the boat to coast along? Or are you going to just dive in and swim like an Olympic swimmer to get across to Jesus? How hungry and desperate are we? His heart was broken. His heart was smashed. Are we judging Peter? My heart was smashed and broken before God. It had to be. Because he can't use any other heart. That's what I love about God. He's building his church on hearts that are broken and contrite. That's the message of the Lord today. I will build my church on hearts like this. You know, Psalm 51 is a lament from King David after his heart was smashed. When he was so full of joy, the Lord, I feel the joy he was in, and suddenly smashed on the ground because he committed adultery, arranged the murder of the husband. The child born out of that relationship died. He was on his knees, and he wrote in Psalm 51 beautiful words, and I dare anyone to read it, and don't think it applies to you. Cleanse me, Lord. Wash me whiter than snow, Lord. You've seen all my guilt and shame, Lord. Nothing's hidden from you. And then the key on verse 17. My sacrifice, says King David. Oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Hallelujah. Is this the heart of Peter right now? This is Peter's heart right now. Broken and contrite. He was smashed. He couldn't wait to get out of that boat. He couldn't wait to get out of the boat, could he? The Lord, it's the Lord. He put his sheet back on. He dives straight in. He's swimming like a lunatic, getting across to Jesus. He's seeing Jesus. We've all been in the sea and we come to the edge of the sea and we, we swim and it sort of turns from a, a swim to a crawl to a stagger, doesn't it? You know? And he's covered in seaweed and uh, he's drenched, he smells. And he comes up and the Lord's standing there, all his glorious radiance. He's thinking of what to say to him. And all that Jesus does, all Jesus does, let's have breakfast, Peter. Let's have breakfast. Because the moment he's jumped out of that boat, Jesus knew his heart was right. I will use him. I will use that man. These are the hearts that God's looking for. 
He will not build his church on world wisdom, intellectualism, pride, proud hearts. We have to come before God and say, God, I'm nothing without you. I'm nothing without you. And when Peter arrived on the beach, he was drowned, wasn't he? He was drenched, he was smelly. He would have embraced Jesus. Jesus in his new heavenly gown, nice sash, but he embraced. Sometimes we need to do that too. We're out ministering on the streets. We may come some people who, who haven't washed for days, stink of alcohol, scruffy, they smell. They don't want to prophecy sometimes. They just may want to hug. They may want to hug. You may be wearing Giorgio Armani, but that guy needs a hug. You've got to hug him. Jesus did. That comes first. Get away. All the pride. That man needs a hug. When, Peter, when Jesus came down from the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing he did was touch a leper. The Pharisees are watching. Is he going to touch him? Is he going to touch him? Jesus goes, do you dare me to touch him? Be healed in my name. Be healed. He touched the leper. He wasn't allowed to touch lepers. He wasn't allowed to. you dare me to touch him, says Jesus. Be healed. We've got to touch people. We've got to hug people. Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? If Jesus stood face to face with you now, says your name. Stephen Cassidy, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. <laughs> Feed my lambs. Stephen John Cassidy of Cambridge, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you, Lord. Stephen John Cassidy of Cambridge, Cherry Hinton, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, I love you above everything. Can we respond like that? This is how he asked Peter. He's asking you now, do you love me? Really love me? Really love me? Let God build his church in your heart. But you've got to respond. In his sire, in the Old Testament, God spoke through his sire in chapter, chapter 66, verse 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hands made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor, says the Lord. Those who are humble and contrite. Contrite to mean smashed and broken and a recognition that they need a savior. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. We need to approach Jesus with fear and reverence, but with a confidence that as we approach him, 
with fear and reverence as Peter approached him on that beach that day. We know that all Jesus will say to us, come and eat with me. I will not condemn you. Come and eat with me. Come and eat with me. What a wonderful God. He deserves all the glory and praise, doesn't he? Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless, and goodbye.